0: you're reading this morning is from Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3, Exodus 20 1 and 2 8 to 11, Deuteronomy 5 15, Matthew 11 28 to 30, and Hebrews 4 9 to 10. I'm going to read them all straight. (laughs) Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So, on the seventh day, he rested. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner, foreigner residing in for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke.
1: Ni tu esclavo, ni tus animales, ni tampoco los extranjeros que viven en tus ciudades. Acuérdate de que en seis días hizo el Señor los cielos y la tierra, el mar y todo lo que hay en ellos.
2: Yes. So come now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What's a snack? What's a snack that you
3: remember eating on a routine basis as a child? That was a question that was posed to me sometime in the last week. I don't even remember who posed it to me. But when asked that, what's a snack that I routinely ate as growing up, I didn't hesitate for one second, I knew exactly what my answer would be to that question. Later on it would have been Hot Pockets, pepperoni, but more often than not, especially during those middle elementary years through middle school, the answer was Tito's Bean and Beef Burrito, frozen of course, almost every single day after school and before soccer practice. That's what I'd be wrapping in a paper towel and popping into the microwave for 60 seconds and munching on for the afternoon, recharged and refueled. It was a routine, almost sort of a dietary habit, as it were, and it was such a regular part of my day with affection, I remember it, I remember it clearly. And of course, if it
1: were a healthy
3: snack, to like my mom, I could tell you about how eating that burrito every single day might actually uh, explain how I'm, I'm the, the healthy and vigorous man that I am today, <laughs> right? Routine diet does that to us over time. But I can even still tell you that that was building into me a, a habit, a regular habit. Right? I can even remember it. If you mention this burrito to me, I can smell the smells. I can almost feel the anticipation of practice that always came afterward. Right? It was a part of life for me. It points a little bit to the power of habits, whether, whether the miniature, frivolous ones like the one I just described, or maybe more important habits that you and I might have. Author and our retreat speaker two years ago, Justin Early, wrote in his book, uh, Common Rule, a, a little bit of a testimony of his life. In fact, as he was a member of our church, he was reflecting upon this idea of the power of habits in our life. He wrote, I had no idea how much my ordinary habits were shaping my soul. The invisible reality is this, Justin writes. We are all living according to a specific regimen of habits, and those habits shape most of our lives. Of course, by habits, what he means is behaviors that occur over and over again, often unconsciously. In fact, one study he points out found that as much as 40% of the actions we take every day, almost half, are not the product of choices, but of habits, things we just do repeatedly. Again and again, one author, William James, wrote this very profoundly. All our life, so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. And so we would do well to pay attention to what kind of habits are forming, shaking our hearts, our souls, our lives. Are you aware? of your daily habits, good or bad. And more importantly, for our purposes, how can we individually and as a community instill healthy spiritual habits? What Christians over the centuries have referred to as spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, and today and for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about one, And that is the practice of Sabbath. How can we begin to make the Sabbath, Sabbath Sabbath-keeping, a regular habit in our lives as God intended it to be? Last week, we began a new sermon series called Rudy, taking a look at Jeremiah 17, where we encountered this wonderful prophetic image, this picture of a tree. Planted by the waters, sending out its roots into the streams so that that tree might flourish no matter how harsh and how bad the weather around it might be. And it gives us this this figure, this picture of a person that's learning to trust in God, uh, sending out their roots, as it were. Into the very waters of life given to us by Jesus. And what we have then is the secret of a life of freedom from debilitating worry or fear or anxiety and the possibility of fruitfulness in life, even during a pandemic, even during the droughts of life. What's the secret? It's all about where your roots are planted. Roots, of course. Anchoring us to the ground,
2: drawing nourishment from life giving sources, and importantly, doing so beneath the surface of what is normally visible. It's all underground.
3: It's what we do day in and day out, moment in and moment out. It's about our spiritual practices that foster trust, our roots through which we drink from the waters of Jesus. Where do we want our roots to go to Jesus? How do we get more of Him? Sabbath is one way. Over the next three weeks, we're going to examine what the Bible teaches us about keeping Sabbath, and then we're going to talk about how we can put it into practice. And we're going to do this as a community, because we need that kind of reinforcement And support today, I just want to introduce the idea to you and to give us a few steps in the direction of a healthy practice of Sabbath. And I want to
2: acknowledge as we talk about this that in many ways, humanly
3: speaking, I'm the worst person to talk about this. I struggle personally with the call to rest. It's always been an uphill battle for me. It's a constant topic of conversation in my marriage to Paula. It's something that I've been growing in wisdom in by God's grace, but part of my story over the years have been seasons and cycles of burnout. Some of you who have been with us in this church for years are are aware of that, have been a part of that together with me. I come to you on the basis of God's word, that authority, Not on the basis of personal experience, but I also want to say that I'm on this journey with you. Yes, it's one that's growing, learning to practice, learning to rest by faith in the grace of God. So, what are we going to look at in our remaining time together? Number one, what is Sabbath? Let's take a look through these different selections and passages throughout the Bible that we heard read to us earlier. What is a Sabbath? And then secondly, why? Why should we keep it? And then we're going to finish up with just a few first steps in how we can begin to practice it. I'm going to give you three little tidbits, uh, three first steps that we can take just to give you something to look forward to. So what it is, secondly, why we should keep the Sabbath, let's take a look at what The Sabbath, friends, and the practice of Sabbath is an invitation Rest. It's an
1: invitation to receive from God the gift
3: of rest and in doing so to resist the pressures and the debilitating demands of work and productivity in a way that replenishes for us a life of joyful service in light of the love. The idea of the Sabbath actually comes from two different Hebrew words that are found in the Old Testament, found scattered throughout the different verses that we're looking at today. One of those words is Shabbat. If you're familiar with the Jewish tradition, you've heard this before, and you can hear the similarities with the word Sabbath, Shabbat. That's a word that means to cease, to desist from labor, to rest. The word translated rest in Genesis 2 verse 3 is also transliterated Sabbath in Exodus 20 in Deuteronomy 5. It's all the same word. It's all over the Bible. The other word is the word Hebrew word nuah. And that's a word that means rest or to be quiet. It actually literally means to catch your breath. Do you know friends? God invites, indeed He commands you from time to time to catch
2: your breath. It's an invitation that God has given to us
3: to experience what you might call both inner rest as well as outer rest by God's grace. Outer rest is the stuff that we're familiar with, right? The fact that we need physical breaks sleep at night a chance to literally catch our breath every single one of us we need this kind of rest any tired people in the house right let the people say amen you can even say out loud together today as an act of confession i'm tired i i, I want to suggest that actually verbalizing that and maybe even turning to your neighbor and saying those two simple words Might be a liberating spiritual step for you. I'm tied to acknowledge it, to be set free by it. What we find in Genesis 20, I mean, Exodus 20, verses 1 to 2 and 8 to 11, as we heard it read earlier, was an invitation, together with Deuteronomy 5, to stop, to set aside your work to not be working constantly, 24-7, to get refreshment and rest. This is the kind of outer rest that every single one of us needs. But, have you ever gone on vacation, or done something that you might even describe as fun or refreshing, and come back to the normal routine in life, and actually still feel tired. Have you ever experienced that before? I think we all have in some way or another, and I think the reason for it is that there is a deeper need that we often have, a second kind of rest that we deeply need and need to pay attention to, and that's what we might call inner
2: rest, the rest of our soul. Recently, finally giving in
3: after hearing so much from different friends about this wonderful new show uh, series in Netflix, Cobra Kai, Finally, had a chance to watch this. This is a, a walk down memory lane for those who grew up watching that uh, fan favorite, Karate Kid, back in the 80s. And uh, among other things, it Tells This story, again, among other things, about a verbally abusive karate instructor, a sensei, who just sort of takes his students and screams in their faces, telling them, literally, you're all losers. You're
2: all losers. Why can't you do better? Get out of my face, right? Here was a
3: dojo, a form of quote-unquote karate, a training that was built on a principle of no mercy. And what's funny to me is that even though we can laugh it off, and it's so extreme as to be able to set it aside as being a caricature, I wonder if some of us actually feel like we can hear that kind of instructor in our ear, Mm -hmm. in our hearts. What are you doing? Get off your butts. You're a loser. Get busy already. Produce more. Do more. Don't stop. I wonder if any of us actually even suspect, that maybe not literally, but maybe as a vague feeling, experiencing this, that you might suspect that that's the very voice of God. That what he wants from you is just for you to do more, whether for him or for others. To just be busier in the name of God. But listen, friends, you might be surprised to hear Jesus say, Come to me if you're tired. We saw this in the reading in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus offers us in the gospel is the gift of rest. Where he tells us that by his grace, because of his death and resurrection, because he stands in the court of heaven, in our place, we can finally exhale to cease our striving to make something of ourselves. To cease fearing life, we need to justify our existence by the things that we do, the things that we accomplish. Here is an invitation to a gift of grace, where Jesus says, I know you are tired. Let me give you what you need to hear, the good news of the rest of God. Rest from our works. Rest from atoning for our mistakes just by working harder. Rest from having to prove our worth because don't you know you are a worthy, glorious image bearer in God's sight. Rest from achieving our way into God's approval because God gives us the gift of His approval in the love of Christ. Rest from constructing our own identities constantly feeling like you need to engineer other people's perceptions of you in the workplace at home and on social media the gospel is itself the good news of spiritual rest it's also along with that the good news of freedom from control that you don't need to be God for yourself any longer because you know that God himself is doing a pretty good job. You don't need to always be in control of all things. The practice of Sabbath is an art of throwing your hands up and saying before God and yourself, I am not in control. Therefore, I can stop. Do you know that so
1: often the reasons why
3: we cannot stop? Oftentimes, it's because of our idolatry
2: of control or our self-importance, the vague feeling that if I don't do this, then it will never get done. If I don't do this, the earth will grind away.
3: We don't say it out loud, but we feel it, don't we? And we don't give ourselves the freedom to stop. You know, God gives you that freedom. Mara Don, a wonderful theologian in her great book on Sabbath-keeping called Keeping the Sabbath Holy, writes this, Sabbath is an invitation to cease not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive from worry and tension that accompany our modern criterion of efficiency, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God, from our possessiveness and our enculturation and from the humdrum and meaninglessness that result when life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. Sabbath means you can let your arms sag and say, God, it's your arms that are holding up my life, not mine. In fact, sleep is one of the ways in which we actually exercise Sabbath in a very profound way. I mean, think about it. Sleep, however hours you get each night. I mean, if you only judge life in the world according to efficiency and the practicalities of productivity, I mean, what a waste of time, right? What are you doing? People sleeping. But no, that's not how God made us. Sleep is one of the greatest weekly Faith, there is where you can actually stop, turn it off, lift up your hands and say, God, you need to be acting and moving now. I'm stopping. God, this is your time to be productive, as it always is. God, you must work and I must cease. This is the inner kind of rest that we are cultivating spiritually even as we are bearing it out in our lives concretely and practically. Do you need this kind of rest? Jesus tells you in no uncertain terms, come to me. And in fact, you see even in that final passage that we read in Hebrews, that Sabbath is a way to describe the very experience of heaven itself. Before 4, 9. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from His. So, what does this Sabbath look like? Well, it looks in the first place like ceasing, where we need to stop, stop our work stop our working in whatever sphere of calling we might be presently living in. It might be paid work that you have, that you do day to day. It might be unpaid work, still a demand of productivity from your life. It might be you as a student. It might be different obligations that you might have. God in the Sabbath calls us to stop. And as we learn to pause for a time in order to cultivate rest we also understand that it's not just work but other things that press in with demands on our life we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks we also need to pause and cease from always engaging in technology our phones our screens these things that actually can be a form of restlessness as well But we need to, as Marva Dawn uh, uh, reminded us, we need to cease not just from work itself, but the inner churn. You know, that restlessness of heart that feels like, I need to be getting something done constantly. Where we need to be able to put away distractions. And this should be for a 24-hour period of time. But I also want to acknowledge that for some of us, We might be in a special season of life or calling where that might be or at least feel impossible. For some of you who are mothers of nursing infants, your calling is literally 24-7. Some of you might be in a unique uh, season of work where it really does press in on you beyond your control. That's not most of us, but some of you may need to find Sabbath for starters in maybe a three-hour block of time. Can you at least take a step of faith to discover that pocket of pause in your week, where we are ceasing, but not only ceasing, secondly, restoring, where we're actually engaging more positively in activities that replace You see, Sabbath is meant to restore, to bring you back to capacity. And that is done through different activities of play, of delight, of actually engaging things that you enjoy, whether if it's an engagement with nature, or if it's a book that you love to read, or if it's music that you love to listen to. Or a show even that you love to watch. Whatever it might be that helps to restore yourself to your called capacity. The key here of this step of restoring is the intentionality. We're called to be deliberate in thinking through what is it that we can do to replenish ourselves. You might say that it's an active, not a passive kind of resting. Because you know, you can do nothing and still be exhausted. You know that, right? You can sit there and do nothing and zone out and come out even more tired. There is a kind of rest and replenishment that we're called to that actually restores our bodies and our souls. And then thirdly, not just ceasing and not just restoring, but feasting. Feasting on the good gifts of God's Word. This is a call To celebration Sabbath is supposed to be a weekly party As it were It's a call to actually enjoy And to give thanks to God For the work you did accomplish Even if it's one thing out of that long list That you feel like you didn't get to accomplish To thank God for those things The fruit of your labor But also just to enjoy the good gifts That God has given to you Not as a reward for your work You don't need to merit Sabbath from God. He gives it to you as a gift, no matter what it is that you accomplish in the week prior. Feasting. That might mean feasting on music or feasting on beauty or feasting on literal feasting, food. It might mean feasting on the affection of people that you love and trust in relationships. But listen, this is an engagement with not just activity, but it's the aesthetic things in life. As Marva puts it, feasting is a right-brained activity that gives us a better balance, since most of us spend our work days engaged primarily in left-brained activities. Our Sabbath activities make more use of our senses, our emotions, our creativity, our intuitions. God calls us to this kind of and I just want to note, this is where we can start to see more and more that the Sabbath is not meant to be a drudgery. It is certainly not legalistic demands. It is meant to be a liberating power that brings into your life delight and joy. Where you are more fully aware, moment by moment, of the love of God for you. Earlier this morning, my youngest daughter rolled over in bed, looking at her, and we talked about how we're heading to church later today. Her face lit up, and she said, I'm so excited to wear one of my dresses. (laughs) She did, and she is. But I just thought that was a, a perfect picture of the kind of delight and anticipation that we're actually supposed to grow into as we approach our Sabbath practice each week or each day. I can't wait until I get to wear my baseball cap and go play catch with a friend. I can't wait until I get to put up that sheet music that I've been working on and get to learn the craft of of playing piano or guitar. Or I can't wait until I get to pick up that book again. I can't wait until I get to take that walk or take that nap or take out that friend and laugh together to the restoration of my soul sabbath is meant for our delight and we're called to anticipate it even with joy sabbath is an invitation to life but why can i quickly run through a few things here why does god call us to sabbath number one obviously it's because sabbath offers rest to the weary we're tired And sometimes we're tired not just because we're busy or because there are a lot of demands in life, but it's because we tend to fall into constantly reacting to needs, never getting in front of them. We feel almost literally enslaved by the demands of everything and everyone around us. God wants to set us free. And so he loves us so much, he in fact commands us to stop. You know that, right? Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is one of the Ten Commandments, the whole sum of the moral law of God. It's hard, and so God knows He needs to command us to do, to do it. Old Testament author and scholar Walter Brueggemann calls the fourth commandment on Sabbath, quote, the most difficult and most urgent of the commandments in our society. Why? He says, because we are a society of 24-7 multitasking in order to achieve, accomplish, perform, a Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the cultural pressures that we actually have, that we need to get through to, that we need to resist, pressures that make us want to live lives of anti saturn and restlessness. But this is why we need community support. It's why we're doing this together. We're going to grow together because it requires enormous intentionality and support from those around us. Secondly, Sabbath makes us more whole. You notice what you find in that first reading, Genesis 2, was that God himself worked in creating all things and then he rested. And then Exodus 20 appeals to that creation story and says, so you need to be like God. Rest. After your work. In other words, you are designed to work and then to stop and get replenished and then to work again. This is who you are. So, if you are not Sabbathing, you are contradicting your very created nature as a person made in the image of a Sabbathing God. You're you're violating your human design, and it's why it's overwhelming. It even breaks down our bodies, our minds, our hearts, our souls. We live according to lies that dehumanize, that you are no more than what you produce, achieve, or acquire, and God says, no, you are my child. You're not a machine. You're not a commodity. You are my child, beloved in my sight." The Sabbath helps us to restore our humanity. We're invited to rediscover who we are. The Sabbath, thirdly, also orders our lives in light of God's love. Where we're called to a better paced life and a rhythm. As you see, we're called to work and then to rest. And work and then to rest on a routine, ordinary Basis. In other words, God always intended for there to be a structure placed upon our lives that breaks up the monotony and the grind. See, I used to think, personally, only think that Sabbath-keeping was an answer to the question how many days of the week and on what days does God command me not to check my work email. <laughs> that was pretty much it. But then I've come to understand, slowly of course, that it's much more profound than that, that the practice of Sabbath begins to give order to our lives. Uh, There's nothing worse than that tiring feeling that a lot of us have felt in the last 18 months, that feeling that you are living one endlessly long
2: Wednesday.
3: (laughs) Right? And where there's no difference from day to day and you're just heading in one direction with no distinction, the Sabbath provides what Jewish scholar Abraham Heschel once called, the Sabbath provides an architecture of time. The Sabbath sanctifies time itself. It turns it into a gift to be stewarded. It gives us a sense of purpose and meaning to the moment right in front of me. And it gives me an ability to actually use my time with more conscious, deliberate effort to live all of life in light of the love of God. Have you ever noticed that all things in life that actually sustain our biological life always happen by rhythms, our breathing, Our heartbeats and the pumping of our blood, the sleep with which we sleep, everything that sustains our life happens by rhythms in our life. Listen, if you are not slowing down or being still enough to notice your own heartbeat and your breathing, you are not slowing down enough to notice your humanity and to notice your God. The Sabbath orders our lives in a way where we actually begin to have the capacity, the margin, the presence to notice the presence of God. For many of us, we intend to live Christianly lives, and yet the life of faith is just a blur to us. Every day is a blur to us. We need to slow down ourselves and pause in order to open new eyes to the reality of the love of God around us. So how do we do this? There's so much to explore, which is why we're doing this across three weeks, but I want to start to invite you to consider practicing the Sabbath, setting aside a 24-hour period, or if your current station in life doesn't allow, at least a three-hour period and that weekly, but also to implement different rhythms of rest, even on a daily basis. We're going to talk about what that looks like, that ceasing, that restoring, that feasting. But three things I want to give you as homework in the coming week. We're going to take baby steps together, so here are a few baby steps. Number one, you want to do this? You want to grow in a life of rest? You want to do some Sabbath-keeping? Give it a try? I want to invite you to tell someone that you want to try. Tell somebody that you want to respond to God's invitation to sell. Because there's a power to actually verbalizing our intentions. It might even liberate you. It might give you the kind of accountability you need to begin this journey. It might be a roommate, a spouse, it might be a friend, it might be a simple text message and say, hey, I'm going to give this a try. Pray for me. Tell somebody, number one, Number two, I want to invite you in the coming week to start to think about what kinds of things replenish you. What kinds of things replenish your soul, your heart, your mind, your body? Because it's different for each of us. So our particular practices of Sabbath may not look exactly the same, one person. To another, I deeply believe when it comes to the implementation of Sabbath keeping, most of our failures start with a failure of imagination. We don't know what the possibilities are for what actually does my body some good, what does my soul some good. So think about it. What works for you? What kind of electrifies you and helps you to sit up again? Is it reading? If it's reading, what kind of reading? Let's get specific. Is it nonfiction? Is it fiction? Is it poetry? Is it children's books? What is it for you? Secondly, what kind of activities outside might help? You know, maybe it's not a book, maybe it's actually taking a walk, maybe it's going for a run, maybe it's actually exerting yourself in the gym, maybe it's being with people in
2: relationships, maybe it's food. Maybe it's not just any kind of food, but there's a certain kind of
3: food that really
2: restores you and gives you life.
3: Remember the key question is, what brings you delight before the face of God? This is what you need to be exploring. What are the replenishing activities that you might begin to explore? And thirdly, I want to invite you on a daily basis to start to be more intentional with your daily rhythms and Sabbath on a daily basis, but most of us are terrible sleepers. We take it for granted. We just fall into sleep, as it were. I want to call you to be more intentional with your sleep, the way that you wind down, the way that you actually enter into bed, the way that you actually set aside a specific time, the way that maybe you need to start deciding to sleep earlier. Maybe some of you need to, as Paula and I did a couple years ago, go buy a new pillow, right? Where you're starting
2: over and fresh just to show your investment in the quality of your sleep. Again, for some of us,
3: our greatest step of faith is to learn to let go by exercising faith in a good night's sleep. And each day, as you are more aware of how you are starting your sleep, I'll invite you to pray. This prayer that's been prayed for centuries by Christians all over the world according to the Book of Common Prayer. Into your hands, Lord, I commend my spirit, for you have redeemed me, O Lord, O God of truth. Keep me, O Lord, as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Amen. Where you're inviting God to protect naming sleep as a holy exercise of faith in the God of Sabbath. Dear friends, do you want to step in this direction? Cultivating new habits, new practices of receiving one of the greatest gifts that God has given us in Christ, the gift of rest. Let's pray. Jesus, we need your help. We really do, practically, and in our souls. We need the motivation of the Holy Spirit and the creativity of our God. So please help us. Please give us what we don't have in terms of next steps, whatever each of us might need. But you call us to considering Sabbath keeping as a gift to us and as a source of life, streams of water that we suck up with the roots that we send out. So Jesus, help us to do that and to take steps. We thank
2: you so much for the grace of Christ and for the gift of Sabbath. Praise in Christ's name. Amen.